Good evening, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Nice to have you with us on this Wednesday, middle of the week, and day one of the test match between South Africa and Australia. And uh, it's good luck, if you like. The South Africans got through the first day without too much damage. The match was abandoned late on in the afternoon with the Australians batting first at 147 for the loss of two. Only 47 overs bowled at the SCG today. That is due to inclement weather, some rain, and then bad light. That's after the Australians won the toss and decided they would bat first. So I'm sure you want to know who is in the South African team. Well, an interesting uh, couple of selections the South Africans made. Henrik Klaassen came into the side as an extra batsman, although he didn't really come in as an extra batsman because Janice De Brain has come home to South Africa for the birth of his child. And then they left out Lungi and Gidi and brought in Simon Harmer. So two spinners in the South African side. And uh, I must say that Harmer bowled really well this uh, today. Uh, five overs, not for 16. Didn't pick up a wicket, though, but uh, it was pretty good. Kishif Maharaj bowled nine overs, not for 35. And the best of the bowlers, Heinrich Nokia, as he so often is, along with Patisa Rabada. This time, Nokia, almost unplayable, to be honest with you. 11 overs, two for 26. It's fantastic bowling by him. Uh, Rabada, no wickets for him today. Not for 45 in 12 overs. And Marco Janssen bowled 10 overs, very economical, just 2.3 runs per over. Nought for 23 and just two maidens. That's the one disappointing thing. South Africa only bowled uh, seven maidens today out of the 47 overs that were bowled. And that, that's a little disappointing. You would have hoped that they would have uh, bowled a few more than that. They were accurate, though. Only two leg buys, a single wide and a single no ball in the extras column. But 147 for two. The South Africans were delighted to the start they got. 12 for 1 when David Warner departed in the fourth over of the day. But then they had to wait until just before the close of play uh, when they took the wicket of Manus Labaskahni or Labashain. Depends if you're South African, born in South Africa and then emigrated to Australia when you were a kid. Or if you still live in South Africa, we talk South Africa. It's Manus Labaskahni. He was out for 79 or for 151 balls. Patient innings, 13 fours for him. And Usman Kawaja, who's got an incredible record at the SCG, still there with 54 for 121 balls. And uh, he was joined with the play coming to a close by Stephen Smith. Steve Smith not out without scoring, hasn't faced the board yet. And the two of them will resume tomorrow, weather permitting, of course, on day two of the test match. So I guess evens uh, pretty honest, uh, pretty 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 honest, pretty even. I guess I don't know about honest when you're talking about the Australians. So Heinrich Nokia took the wicket of uh, Labuschagne. It turned out to be the last ball of the day. He bowled consistently at 140 kilometres an hour, and uh, he will be very happy with uh, his day. The umpires took the players off the field for the final time just after tea, but the South Africans will be happy with the dismissal of Labuschagne. At the end of the day, he edged a drive low to Simon Harmer, who claimed the catch on field. Umpires agreed and gave the soft signal of out. Third umpire, Richard Kettenbrook, disagreed, judging the ball had touched the grass first. As it turned out, the Proteus only lost nine runs after that. His initial strike was the key wicket of the double century maker at Melbourne, David Warner. Super confident left-hander looked very good as he square cut and pulled a couple of early boundaries 
and then he tried one too many and was caught by Marco Janssen at first slip. It was a head-high catch, but you have to understand the guy's about seven foot five. So very good performance by the South Africans. And as I say, bad light struck first with a total of 138 for one. Of the 43 overs, there was a long break before the players returned. They only came back on for four overs in that uh, second uh, spell afterwards. Now, the uh, man at the wickets, as I mentioned, is Usman Kawaja. He's 54 not out. He went past 4,000 runs in test cricket. He's 20th half century, and it's a happy hunting ground for the left-hander. He's hit two centuries there in the last Ashes test this time last year. Australia, of course, are the uh, leading the series 2-0. They know that a clean sweep will guarantee them a place in the World Test Championship final at the Oval in June. South Africa, for their part, are currently fourth in the standings, and they know that victory in Sydney and a clean sweep in the home two-test series against the West Indies could enable them to qualify as Australia's opponents. Now, earlier, Australia made three changes for the Test match. Pace bowler Mitchell Stark and all-rounder Cameron Green are both injured. They were replaced by Ashton Agar and Matthew Renshaw. Now, Renshaw, interestingly, was diagnosed with COVID before the play started. However, he was allowed to take part in the game because he was deemed to be asymptomatic. Josh Hazelwood, injured for the first two tests, came back in, replacing Scotty Boland. South Africa replaced Tinus de Brain, as I mentioned, with Heinrich Klaassen and Gay Harmer, his first chance and only chance he'll get in the series. So the two teams, David Warner, Usman Kawaja, Manus Lomaskakli, Stephen Smith, Travis Head, Matthew Renshaw, Alex Carey, the keeper, Ashton Agar, Pat Cummings, the captain, Nathan Lyon, and Josh Hazelwood for Australia. South Africa, Dean Elgar, the captain, Sarah Aravier will open with him. Heinrich Klaassen's down at number three. I'm not sure if he'll come in at three. Temba Bavuma and Kaya Zonda make up the top five. Alvarani will bat at six with Janssen, Maharaj, Harmer, Rabada and Nokia. Now, South Africa already uh, have uh, been struggling with their batting, and it's an interesting decision that they took here to go with five bowlers. The problem we have at the moment is we don't really have a class all-rounder. Now, if we had one, like a, okay, you're never going to replace your colours. But if you had somebody in a similar mould to colours, then you could always take that opportunity of going in with four bowlers, an extra batsman, and the all-rounder. We don't have that, so we've gone in with six batsmen and five bowlers. Perhaps hindsight's a perfect science with the way our batting's been going at the moment. Perhaps they should have brought in another batsman and let the two fast bowlers, maybe even played three fast bowlers and one spinner to just give them relief. But too late now. The teams have been out on the field half the day, almost gone, and day two will resume tomorrow. There is other cricket going on at the moment as well. The uh, New Zealanders are in Pakistan. That is a very interesting test match. They're on a pretty flat wicket again. Pakistan trail New Zealand by 42 runs, 407 for nine. That's 407 for nine. Imam Ulhaq, who was on his way to 100, cut out for 83 or for 165 balls. But Saud Shakil, 124 not out of 336 deliveries. And uh, Shafraz Ahmed, but 78 for 109, because at one stage, Pakistan were in a bit of bother at 182 for four, but they then took the score from almost 60th over to the 100th over, when the next wicket fell at 332 for five, then another good partnership to take it to 385 for six, and then a bit of a collapse, 393 for seven, for eight, and then 397 for nine. So uh, 
they will be a little disappointed at the end of the day, but very delicately poised after New Zealand won the toss and chose to bat. Let's remind you of their score, 449 all out. And that was thanks to the former South African, Devon Conway, who got himself another 100. So good stuff as far as he is concerned. Now, there is other cricket going on as well. A much shorter form of the game, the Indians and the Sri Lankans had quite a thriller uh, yesterday as uh, the debutant fast bowler Shiva Mani led an inspired bowling performance with four wickets as India edged out Sri Lanka by just two runs in the opening T20 International. He returned figures of 4 for 22 to help the host bowl out Sri Lanka for 160 in search of a victory target of 163. They lead the three-match series 1-0. The 24-year-old was ably supported by Umran Malik and Hashal Patel as they picked up two wickets each. I guess the Sri Lankans will be a little disappointed because they did so well in restricting the Indians and then they uh, got themselves out rather early. So second match tomorrow will be in Pune where the Sri Lankans will be hoping to pull one back. Okay, that's the cricket. Now, what about the uh, football? So, last night, there was quite a lot of action in the Premier League and some movements, not for the top couple of teams, but for that team quietly getting into a stride that I guess will be exciting their fans, but most probably putting just a little bit of fear into their opponents. I'm talking about Manchester United, of course. After last night's results, Arsenal held to a goalless draw by high-flying Newcastle, who have now had two goalless draws in their last couple of matches. But they did extend their lead to eight points at the top of the Premiership as Manchester United strengthened their grip in a race for the top four. Everton, though, imploded at home, losing 4-1 to Brighton just days after drawing with Manchester City. Mikel Arteta's men had the better of the uh, match at the Emirates Stadium, which was jam-packed, but really threatened to break down the stringiest defence in the league, Newcastle United. Now, they've just suffered one defeat in the Premier League all season and are in the mix for a top-four finish and have even touted as potential champions. Not to be, I think, but both sides had penalty appeals waved away and had to be content with the point after a rather fractitious encounter, nine yellow cards and very few clear-cut chances. On the other hand, Manchester United smashed Bournemouth by three goals to nil. It's their fourth straight Premier League win, and they've moved level on 35 points with third-place Newcastle. We'll look at the table in a minute. United, who've been trophyless since 2017, have now won nine of their last ten games in all competitions as they adjust to life without Ronaldo, who was unveiled at his new Saudi club. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Marcus Rashford was dropped for the game at Wolves after oversleeping and missing a team meeting now, we now know what the reason was why he didn't start in the last game. Came off the bench to get the winner there. He returned last night as one of four changes. Harry Maguire back in the team, as was Victor Lindelof and Donny van der Beek. The Brazilian Casemiro broke the deadlock for United in the 23rd minute. Rashford was fouled by Adam Smith on the left. Christian Eriksen floated in a free kick. And the Brazilian met the ball at the near post to apply a beautiful finish. Luke Shaw also scored a fantastic goal that he started himself inside his own half and eventually got through to the penalty box and scored himself. And then Marcus Rashford, who is having an absolutely beautiful run of form, came 
close and then scored towards the end of the game to wrap the three points up for Manchester United and make it 3-0. Now, it wasn't quite so for uh, Everton team because Brighton's World Cup winner Alexis McAllister, who was a substitute against Everson at Goodison Park just after 24 hours from returning of Argentina, Kaoru Mitoma gave the visitors a 14th-minute lead, but things unraveled quickly for Frank Lampard's men in the second half. Ivan Ferguson put the ball in the back of the net. The booze rang out as Solly March was given far too much space on the edge of the box to make it three, just three minutes later, and remarkably three minutes after the third or fourth goal arrived, a reckless pass seized on by Pascal Gross inside the Everton half. He had the freedom of the ground, chipped the ball over Jordan Pickford, which is when Everton fans began to head for the exits. And a flare was thrown onto the pitch. Chance of sack the board rang out. Now, Damari Gray scored a late consolation goal from the penalty spot, but a huge defeat, leaving Everton just one point above the relegation zone and a Friday night encounter, not in the Premier League, in the FA Cup against the high-flying Manchester United. is going to really put uh, some pressure on the Evertonians. Now, the Serbian forward, Aleksandra Mitrovic, Scored the only goal of the game at the King Power Stadium. Fulham beat Leicester by a goal to nil. Fulham up to seventh in the table. Although Leicester dominated, Yuri Tillemans hit the bar. Fulham goalkeeper Bert Leto made a couple of great saves. They couldn't find the equaliser and they now sit just three points above the relegation zone. So a lot um, of movements, some in the right direction and others in the wrong direction. Let's take a look now, shall we, at the uh, Premier League table as it stands at the moment. Arsenal, of course, still top that table and are top with a considerable eight-point lead. But Manchester City do have a game in hand tomorrow evening, so they could reduce that to five. Newcastle have played one more game than Arsenal and two more than Manchester City. So Manchester City could go well clear of uh, Newcastle in third place. But Newcastle are struggling at the moment. Uh, two draws, goalless draws, that is. And uh, they, of course, are in a situation whereby Manchester United are level on points with them. But United have a game in hand, as do Spurs. Spurs, on the other hand, they're Arsenal. It's five points behind the Newcastle United. In sixth place, Liverpool, 28 points from their 17 games. And they are struggling at the moment. 28 points, my goodness. That's a long way from the 44 points that Arsenal topped the table with. At the bottom, I'll tell you the games this evening because they have a huge impact on the bottom, could have a huge impact on the bottom of the table. Southampton, 17 games, as have Wolves, Forest and West Ham. And it's 12 points to Southampton, 13 to Wolves, and then 14 points apiece for Forest and West Ham. Everton could be surpassed later on this evening when the fixtures uh, are uh, completed. Southampton play Forest. That's a definite six-point swing there. Anything can happen there. And that, of course, will impact dramatically on the bottom of the table. Uh, Leeds and West Ham battle it out uh, at uh, Ellen Road. Villa Park sees Aston Villa play Wolverhampton Wanderers. And then I guess the pick of the matches this evening is going to be the one between Palace and Spurs. Spurs are having a bit of a struggle at the moment. Palace are on a fantastic run of form under Patrick Vieira. So Palace, I'm sure, are going to be looking for a win at home at Sellers Park this evening. Tottenham's, of course, 
uh, not too far to travel from their home ground, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, to the uh, ground that Crystal Palace used to share, if you remember, with Wimbledon. That's right, Wimbledon. Remember them, the crazy guys, the crazy gang of Wimbledon. So that's Palace against Spurs tonight at 10 p.m. And then tomorrow night, a mouthwall drink fixture because they can't be this bad all the time, Chelsea. They've got good players, good manager, and a huge support base at home when they play at home. And they are in West London tomorrow evening and they entertain the team that are second in the long chasing Arsenal. Manchester City. That should be a great game, especially if you're in neutral. Uh, that should be a lovely game of football to watch. Uh, let me remind you again of the fixtures. Southampton against Forest, Leeds against West Ham and Villa against Wolves. And then the other game tonight, 10 o'clock, Palace against Spurs. And tomorrow night, it is Chelsea up against Manchester City. Now, I mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, my golly gosh. Can you believe the story? So there he is. His own personal army and entourage of people, managers, and goodness knows what else he had with him. And these were his words. I'm delighted to be in South Africa. Oops, he meant Saudi Arabia. Yep, that's what he did. So lots of very humorous tweets and a couple of superimposed pictures of Ronaldo in a Kaiser Chiefs jersey and who knew that Orlando Pirates had signed Cristiano Ronaldo? And oh, a lot of fun. So clearly a huge faux pas on Ronaldo's part when making that entrance into the stadium. And incidentally, and you never know these stories, whether they are 100% true or they're just sensationalizing stuff. But apparently there is the current number seven for Al Nasir has actually been fired, if you read the reports correctly, because he refused to give up his number seven for Ronaldo. Now, you never know, as I say, whether these stories are 100% true or not. But I guess at the end of the day, the bloke that had the number seven jersey must have thought to himself, hold on a second, maybe if I hold out here a bit, some of that 200 million pounds might go my way and they'll buy my number seven. Well, clearly that didn't happen, and apparently he has been told that his contract is no longer valid, and he's been fired from the team. So, I mean, you can take that with a pinch of salt, if you like. You never know whether it's actually true or not. But, yeah, Ronaldo arriving there, huge deal, 200 million euros. He spells at United, Madrid, and Juventus before he insisted the shock move didn't spell the end of his career. He said in his uh, speech last night, in Europe, his work is done. He had many offers, mainly in Brazil, or many in Brazil, Australia, and even the US, as well as Portugal. Many clubs tried to sign me, but I gave my word to Al Nasser. So there you go. Now back to some of those Cristiano Ronaldo tweets. The one was uh, quite, he's a little confused about if he'll be playing his football in South Africa instead of Saudi Arabia. Let's see what he looks like in the colours of Cape Town City Football Club. Interesting one there. And then, of course, uh, accidentally saying he was playing in South Africa and then Orlando Pirates, a Twitter account, had a picture. Here's a potential player. And another one said, yeah, he played for Kaiser Chiefs. So good luck, Cristiano Ronaldo. As I say, we'll be talking about him for a couple of days and then we will all forget about him because none of us are particularly interested 
in worrying about what goes on as far as uh, the uh, soccer in Saudi Arabia is concerned. We have no real reason to watch any of that, do we? Okay, now here's another story that's uh, brought to my attention yesterday and uh, it's moved on to today. Circoli says, shock move to racing 92 in France is apparently a win-win situation for the Sharks, according to the franchise owner, Marco Massotti. The 31-year-old Springbok captain was uh, contracted at the Sharks until 2026, but he will now follow former Stormers teammate Stephen Kitchoff as the next high-profile South African star to head abroad after this year's World Cup in September and October in France. Racing 92 as a destination, though, should not come as a surprise, given that for the last few months, Sorti has been engaging with Jackie Lorenzetti, the billionaire owner of the French club. The result was a commitment from both sides to a relationship of collaboration. And Colise's move from Durban to Paris certainly solidifies that commitment. Sorti is hopeful that player movements in the future could go the other way too, with the Sharks potentially receiving players from racing. The real spin-off for the deal for the Sharks, though, is how partnering with racing could help them enter and thrive in the cutthroat world of European sponsorships. Masotti confirmed that there's no cross-ownership between the Sharks and Racing 92, as is the case with the Sharks and Saracens. They are an independently owned club. They are not in a collaboration with them. Now, I hope my thought process is completely wrong here. And that is that if he's made this decision, which, as I mentioned in the uh, show last night, I have absolutely no problem with if he has a shortened career, as all rugby players do, or short career, unlike other sports where you could play into your late 30s, sometimes look at Cristiano Ronaldo, earning $200 million at the age of nearly 40. Rugby's a little different. There's the odd player here and there that plays. Franz Stein is one that comes to mind, and a couple of others. But with the 2023 World Cup in September, Colisi still has some time left at the Sharks, and looks to get them into the Rugby Championship and European Champions Cup. But is it a case of the captain saying, right, the World Cup might be the end of my international career. Hopefully we win the World Cup, that is South Africa win the World Cup, and he goes off in a blaze of glory. But a typically hum- humble Khaleesi reiterated that he's not a self-made man, that his eye-catching move, inclusion of the World Cup, has been made possible by the immense contributions of many people in his life. The inspirational captain, whose life story is uh, in, from impoverished youngster to South Africa's arguably most recognisable sportsman, has become the stuff of legend. And he wants to honour those individual sacrifices with his new Paris gig. Khaleesi said in a statement that in the positive influences that resulted in becoming both the man and the rugby player is today, it's always been his desire to honour those contributions by making most of every opportunity he receives. The 31-year-old Bruce Ford has recently as May extended his term to the Sharks to 2027. But reports began surfacing last year that he had commenced discussions with the French club. Now, given his hectic playing schedule over the past several years, Colisi unsurprisingly cited a desire to change his family dynamics as a major consideration for his move. He is immeasurably grateful to his wife, Rachel, and the kids who have sacrificed so much through his career. And he says, not many athletes get the chance to write the chapters of their respective stories and have used this challenge as an opportunity to do this. But is he writing the final chapter in his rugby career? Who knows? Now, he joins fellow accomplished box Trevor Inyakani and Warwick Khalant, along with several other overseas stars, Scottish pivot Finn Russell and the Argentinian 
Juan Imoff, but the club's social responsibility initiatives hold great appeal for him. He says he's fully aware that racing have great ambitions on the field. The club's progressive outlook on a philanthropic project is also hugely encouraging and aligns with his personal values and his mission. He does say uh, it doesn't mean he'll neglect his massive footprint in South Africa and his foundation will continue to do fine work with the Khaleesi's planning on returning to South Africa after the French chosen for now Khaleesi's finally fully focused on making the final chapter with the Shocks a memorable one. Interesting stuff. Very, very big news. Very sensational news. And the Springbok captain on his way to Racing 92. And uh, finally, just back to the crickets, if I may, because the story breaking is that the Australian cricket legend and former captain Steve Waugh, uh, after today's play, just a few moments ago, has taken to Instagram to berate the Test cricket lawmakers after day one of his country's third test against South Africa was called off early for bad light. Walk tagged the International Cricket Council, the game's global governing body, as well as Cricket Australia, in a post in which he said the decision not to use lights doesn't make any sense. He also used the hashtags at Common Sense and Move With The Times. He said Test Cricket needs to realise that there's a lot of competition out there. Not using the lights when the players are off for bad light simply doesn't add up. Lots of unhappy spectators who can't understand the rationale and reason for no play. Now, the rain-affected first day at the City Cricket Ground ended with Australia on 147 for too much of the day was lost. South Africa did finish somewhat on a high after Heinrich Nokia, as I mentioned before, dismissed Marnus Labashain or Labaskafni, caught behind to claim his second of the two wickets that fell for just 26 runs. So what will the day tomorrow bring? What's the weather like in Sydney? You might be wondering for tomorrow's action. So why don't we have a look and see what the weather is going to be like in Sydney tomorrow. The uh, weather there is a bit strange at this time of the year, as you can obviously see by the fact that uh, the match was called off early because of bad light. So the weather in New South Wales tomorrow, in Sydney in particular, is not brilliant, I must add. Currently, it's 19 degrees. They're expecting some rain tomorrow as well, a little bit in the morning, maybe. And then five o'clock in the morning, they're expecting a 50% chance of rain, 21% at nine. And then through the course of the day, between 16 and 18% chance of rain and the temperature at around 21 degrees, the high and the low, just 16 degrees. That is this edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. As always, till tomorrow, be nice to each other. Bye for now.